What's up? What's up? What's up? Thank the Lord we're able to meet again another Lord's Day to be back in his word. Um, if you have a copy of God's word, join with me. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through the 4 this morning. Again, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, if you don't have one, it's for our gift to you, from us to you. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and um, it's our gift to you from us, from us to you. We have been going through the book of Romans now um, since the beginning of the year. We're just walking through the book of Romans and, um, and just seeing what the Lord has revealing to us every single week. So jump with me in verse 1 in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let me pray for us, ask the Lord to help us with these verses, and, um, and just walk them together. Let me pray for it. Bow your heads. I Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, again for your goodness towards us. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to be able to taste your grace every single day. The Lord, we are so undeserving, Lord. We have done so many different di uh, things, Lord, that have dishonored you, Lord, but you have still been so kind to us. So, Lord, let us be reminded today, Lord, of your goodness and your mercy today. Help me, Lord. I'm weak, Lord, this morning. I need your strength. Again, I'm nervous as always. And a lot of times I don't think I'm prepared enough. And Lord, all these inadequacies I, I see. But Lord, give me strength to preach your word uh, faithfully. Lord, give me the wisdom as I walk through your text. So let your name be honored, Lord, at this time. Help me, Lord. And help your people, Lord. Let this word be edifying for them as well. Grow your people in your word. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. We have been learning the book of Romans. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote it as a epistle. Epistle is a letter. Show of hand. If you ever wrote a letter to someone, raise your hand. Okay, Paul was writing his letters to the Roman church. Normally, when you write a letter to someone, you have something to share with that person. You might share a letter to them and tell them, that, hey, I miss you. Or you might write a letter to them and say, hey, I thought about you. Various reasons you might have wrote a letter to someone before. In the same way, a lot of us don't see the Bible this way. Well, these letters, the epistles, the letters that Paul written, the book of Romans, Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, all those was letters that was written to people or to churches. So Paul wrote the book of Romans, he wrote it to the church. Why do y'all think he wrote it to the church? To help the church. To help the church, to encourage the church. The church was going through various things and Paul wanted to encourage them. 
And one of the things Paul told them in Romans chapter 1, hey, I can't wait to come see you. And they thought the Roman third church, I guess what Paul answered his plane, they thought Paul was captain. Is that how you? Like they thought Paul wasn't coming, so is that captain? He's just captain? Gassing? Gaslight? What? It's not captain? But he wasn't capping though. That's what they thought though, Elijah. They thought Paul was just writing, saying that he's going to come, but he's not going to come. Because that Paul, we've been around this whole time, you haven't came yet. So Paul wrote this letter that I am coming. At this time, the strongest empire existed, which was the Roman, the Roman Empire. was the strongest empire to ever lived. And so they would do this thing called a four quarters. All right? If someone get went against the sin or to get went against wrong, they'll tie them up. They'll tie their arm up and they'll tie the other arm up and their two legs up. Right? They'll tie them up and they'll tie them up like to a horse or something. They'll hit the horse and they'll split the whole body into half. And quarters. That's how brutal the Roman government was. It was very brutal. So this makes sense why they probably think that Paul is not coming because Paul is scared. He's scared that if he come here and talk about Christ, he might die. So Paul writes to them and says something so profound in Romans 1 16. What is this oath? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying that he's not scared of the Roman Empire. He don't, he, he's not afraid to share about what the gospel is and about who the Roman Empire is. Because he knows the gospel has done for him. That he was dead in his sin and the gospel brought him to life. So Paul walks from Romans 1 all the way through to about chapter 3, talking about the bad news of the bad news. The bad news that we all have sinned. The Jews have sinned with the law. The Gentiles sinned without the law, but they had a law within themselves. Everybody has sinned. No one is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all have sinned. So how can we boast? We all are dead in our sins. And again, I have been to many funerals. I have never seen a dead person just get up and just walk. When a person is dead and this is something, they are what? They're not. They're dead. Good job, Yoel. They're not able to get up. So we were dead in our trespasses. How can we do something good? Well, you might ask them, well, we know a lot of people that write that sinners or a lot of people that believe in different things that do good things. Um, I know a lot of Buddhists. Very hospitable and very, very nice people. But they haven't professed Christ. They haven't turned from their sins. And for them, even though it looked good on the outside, it corrupt on the inside. The reason why a lot of Buddhists help people is because of self-motivation for self. For self-gain. A lot of Christians as well. Professing Christians, right? Nominal Christians. So Paul lets us know, though, is that you can't do anything good unless you're born again. And he gets into the gospel. That you must be born again. And that's why Christ has came, that Jesus Christ, he came to live the life that we didn't live. He lived a perfect life. By believing in Jesus, we get righteousness. We get what? Perfection with the Father. Not because of our own works, because of Jesus' works. So by believing in Jesus, he takes our sin upon the cross and, and, and God doesn't see our failures anymore. That's the good news. So Paul is saying he's not ashamed of the great news that God has saved him. 
And now we're seeing through the rest of this book now, what we're talking about from like Romans 3, Romans 4. Now Paul gets in now with the assurance. Now Christ has saved you. Remember this. If he saved you, he can keep you. I have seen so many firefighters in life. I have seen firefighters go save people. But I've never seen a firefighter save somebody then take them back into the fire. Have y'all ever seen that before? A firefighter save somebody then take them back into the fire. I have never seen that before. Because once they save them, they're secured, right? They're secured. In the same way, Roman Paul tells us that just like a firefighter has used to save somebody, Jesus is his ultimate firefighter. When Jesus saved you, he's not going to take you back to the world and let the world have you. He might, He's going to let you live within the world, but he's not going to give you back, right? That's the difference between Christianity is that when the Lord saves you, he keeps you. Somebody said, well, the Lord is not going to, what's the saying y'all hear? Y'all heard it before. The Lord is not going to want nobody that don't want him. How you say it? Help those who help themselves. And we're seeing his dad family. Be honest with you. We wasn't for us. We didn't want to be helped. We were enjoying our sins. We were enjoying the things in the world. It was the Lord who brought us from death to life. He opened our eyes up. He started the good work. If the Lord did it. And but when the Lord started that good work, now we wanted better things in life was the things that he wants from us. So again, Paul is teaching us is that, hey, no matter what you're going through, once Christ has saved you, he's not going to give you up. Think about that right now, even for all of us in this room that might be going through depression, might be going through struggles in life, health issues. You feel like, where is God at? If you, if you truly belong to Christ, if you're part of his sheep, the sheep hears his voice, right? He will keep you forevermore. That's what Paul gets at. Well, now our test today, now Paul gets in, he explained last week that when, when sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Now Paul transitions to something else now, which is the same thing. He goes more in detail. He can stop right now in Romans 5 or Romans 6. He can jump over to Romans 8. This is like the parentheses. You guys know what a parentheses is? It's like something you get a little bit more details, right? It might say the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Then they put in parentheses, six times. Y'all like that one, don't y'all? The Patriots won the Super Bowl. Then it got parentheses six times. So this is right here from Romans 6 and 7. It's like parentheses. When he talked about it in Romans 5 at the end of verse 21, I believe, he talked about when grace abounds more. Now he's going to go ahead and explain what he means by this. But before I explain it, let me give you guys a story of what happened. But last year, I was so excited that my babies made it to the Junior Olympics Regionals. I was so excited. I was walking around the track and noticed that several parents, they got shirts made there with their kids' name in the back. With the front of the shirt, it said, AAU Junior Olympics, you know, Regionals 2022. And I was like, wow, I want my daughters to get one of these shirts. So I went walking around and looking around for where to get a shirt made for my daughters. So I'm walking around and, and I see this long line, y'all, a long line. 
And I just, I kept walking, looking around, and I got to the front of the line, and I noticed everybody was lined up was actually at this certain booth where they make the shirts at. And so when I seen that this is the place they make the shirt, but I love my daughter, but I'm not gonna stand this long line. So I saw a mother in, in the line. And I, I saw a mother in the line, and I was, and I noticed, I saw she from Palm Bluff. We in Missouri at the time. We were dropping in Missouri. And I said, I know her. She from Palm Bluff. I said, what's going on? And I and I, and I looked at her and I said, hey, um, you mind if I get in line with you? And she eased me in line. And I got in line. When I got in line, um, I'm like, wow. You know, I'm about to get the shirt made in no time. So I was comfortable breaking the line. I was okay breaking the line at that moment. Right? It's, a un, it's a already an unwritten rule, right, out of courtesy to wait in line. For me in that moment, I broke this law, I broke this rule. I skipped everybody that was been there all day and jumped in front of them. I was comfortable with it. I'm not gonna lose my salvation by breaking the line. I can break the line. I'm not gonna lose my salvation. That's what I'm thinking. I'm fine by breaking the line. Only until another mother was in line with me. And she's from Missouri. And this mother said, huh, so we've been waiting on this line all day and you're going to come and jump in the line right now. And for me, like, how can I bounce back from this? And so it started to kick in now, like, wow. And she said, uh, she said it again. And it was a sister too now, it was a sister. And she said it again. You broke all these people in line and she got louder with us, oh goodness. So I was like, this is your child here. And I said, man, I bet your child is a good runner. I tell you what, let me buy your child a shirt, Ramen. <laughs> and so what I did was, I told the mother, hey, I'm going to buy the child. I'm going to buy your child a shirt. So, okay, you can stay in line now. And so at that moment for me, I noticed something. I was okay to dishonor the Lord in that moment because it was a respectable sin. It was a small little sin, right? I'm over cheating other people, but hey, it's no big deal. Some people shot somebody before. You know, I mean, Greg, how many people bodies you got? But for the most part though is that, for me, I was thinking like, man, this is something so small, so what's the big deal? Family, at that moment, I misused grace. I misused grace. I disregarded the law. And many of us in this room, you can think about times you have dishonored the Lord that, hey, I shouldn't be going to her house or to his house. But guess what? God forgives me. He will forgive me for what I've done. And at that moment, what we're doing, we're trampling upon grace. We're saying that we really don't care about God's grace. We don't care what Christ has done. And at that moment, we have become antinomianists. Everybody say antinomianists. Antinomianists or antinomianism, one person says, defines it as this. It comes from the Greek word anti, meaning against, and nomad, meaning law. 
Antinomianism means against the law. Theologically, antinomianism is the belief that there is no more law, laws God expects Christians to obey. Antinomianism takes a biblical teaching to unbiblical conclusions. A second reason that antinomianism is unbiblical is that there's a moral law God expects to, uh, us to obey. 1 John 5, 3 tells us that this love, for, this is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are burdened, not burdensome. What is this law God expects us to obey? It's the law of Christ. So family, when we misuse grace, at that moment we are trying to say we are being antinomous in the moment. And that's what Paul is going to get here with this text. Now we got assurance in Christ. Christ has saved us. We are saved by Christ. Now, don't misuse grace. We're going to do it in three points today. Since we have assurance in Christ, should we continue in sin to get more grace? Verse 1. If you have assurance in Christ, you have died to your old ways, 2 through 4a. And last point is going to be, if you have assurance in Christ, you have been raised in newness of life. Jump point number one. Since we have assurance in Christ, should we continue sinning to, to get more grace? It said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul knows the answer. But why is he asking this question right here? These two questions here in verse one. Paul does not open up this question out of nowhere. For example, if a person come out and say their lights went off, or they or they might come out and say, well, they need a light bill paid, the first thing you might think of is that, okay, you didn't pay your bill. Right? Or the power line went down. You might come to some conclusion when someone say, hey, the lights are off. In the same way, Paul is asking this question for a particular reason. He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin, maybe? Uh, uh, seeing that grace may abound. He is pointed back to verse 20 and 21 when he said that grace also might, I'm going to go back to 20. Now the law came into, into increase the trespasses, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Christ is better than Adam. So when we sin, it is God's grace that points our sins to the cross. So the more we sin, the more grace we get. That's what Paul talked about in 20 and 21. So how do you think the Jews are going to take this then? How are they going to take this? Or even Gentiles are going to take this. Say, the more I sin, you tell me what? I can go rob a bank and do all these things and God is going to give me more grace. That's how some people probably could take this. That's why Paul is asking this question. He's asking these questions for them to be able to consider these things. Because he wanted them to see, though, is that God's going to give grace, but this grace is not going to undermine his holiness. The question was shocking for the Jews. Dr. Martin Lord Jones says this, if the apostle speaks like this about the law, was the law then altogether useless and valueless? Why did God ever give the law to the children of Israel? What was it meant to do? What was it, its place in the function in God's great plan or scheme of redemption? 
So why do we even need the law then? If we're going to be able to give more grace when we sin, why did God even give us a law? That's what he's getting at here. So the Jews were not, they were, the Jews were the one that wanted, they kept the law, but their heart was so far from the law. They were the one that said, hey, I did all these right things, but their heart was so far away from it. They were like nominal believers. So the more we sin, the more God would give grace. That's how some people could have took this. We even see it in our day. Some even in our day, they say they were saved when they were five years old or 10 years old or 15, 29 years old. God saved me. And since God has saved me and no one can never take me from away from, from him, I can go live however I want to live. Some people say once saved, always saved. And I always try to add to that if saved. One source says this. In chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the dangers of antinomianism. The danger which has so often arisen in the history of the church. Of people saying, this is a wonderful doctrine. This doctrine of salvation. It is free gift, the free, free grace of God. It is really means that it does not matter at all what you do. You are saved once and forever. People have misused the doctrine in that way for the reason that the Apostle will explain here in the rest of chapter 6. People have misused it. That's why we can see right now. Um, you guys may know I'm going to be in Uganda next month. And I'm going to be going to Africa. And you guys might not know this. Majority of Africa is still considered Christian. It's Christian. The Muslims are considered the northern area of like Egypt and those areas of predominantly Islam. But majority of actually Africa is actually Christianity, professing Christianity. Even in our city of Palm Bluff. Majority of Palm Bluff, people would say they're believers of Jesus. We have some group that say Hebrew Israelites, some other groups that say some stuff. But for the most part, majority of everybody would say they're Christian in Palm Bluff. Same thing in Memphis. Same thing in Baltimore. Same thing in Oakland, California. And the crazy thing about it, though, is that if this, if majority of people in the community are Christians, why do we have so much violence? If you're truly a Christian to love Jesus, we're, we're serving each other. Why we got so many people in the jail system right now? We have all these things happening because a lot of people are Christians in name only. And I'm not saying that we are perfect in this room. I would say I'm chief sinner in this room. I have sinned against God. I'm no better, but I mean, only by God's grace, right? But being a true Christian and living out the Christian life, we should be able to see a difference in our community. The reason why we don't see a difference is because this antinomianism. Is that since we are Christian, God is going to save us, so I can go ahead, I can do this crime because I'm going to go to heaven anyway. Every funeral I've done so far, and even in the past, even friends I've been to, everybody goes to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. But is that true? Is that true? If everybody go to heaven, right? You know, everybody goes. Why did Jesus have unique scriptures about who belonged to him? 
I'll talk about that here shortly. More to point number two. I'm gonna finish up. Jacayla looking at me. If you have assurance in Christ, you have died to your old ways. Paul responds right here in verse two. By no means, how can you, we who died to sin, still live in it? By no means. KJ, you got New King James? What did yours say? May it never be. King James, anybody got King James? What does that verse say in King James? Well, y'all a little late getting there. It said, God forbid. Well, actually, in the actual text of itself in the Greek language, the word God is not there. God is not there in the text. These scribes, they actually right here, to make it more emphatic, they use the word God here in this text in the King James. They, don't, they didn't have to do this. The doctor says this. The apostle did not use the word God at all, but the authorized version, which is the King James translator, wanted to bring out the emphasis strongly. So they said, God forbid. What it really means is, by no means. Let it not be. It is unthinkable. It should never even be suggested. It is a very strong term and and in a sense, the translator were justified in rendering it as God forbid. So the translator wanted to make sure that, hey, this is right here. It's almost like blasphemy. Going back to that certain question that was asked. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? He said, God forbid. Like, No. Think about a child. I'll use this illustration. I don't know my outlets. I always use outlets as the illustrations. It's like a child putting a hand in the outlet, right? Would you ever say okay to put your hand, a child put a hand in the outlet? Would you ever give a child approval to do it? No. In the same way that this is emphasis here, God would never give approval to sin. So he, in fact, would make this actually indicative statement. God forbid, or in say the King James, but in other words, by no means, no. Do not continue in sin because you have grace. The test should be taken serious. Because if not, you will misuse grace. And that's what is shouting at is that, no, there's no way you continue in sin if you've been bought with a price. If you do, you misuse grace. So finally, the problem is antinomianism. We think Jesus saved us, so we can just go ahead and live how we want to live. Family, there is no person that has died to sin and died again. They've never, that means they were never dead to sin anyway. Yeah. You were never dead to sin. Well, then I think you're not. They never died to sin. A person that willfully sin enjoys sin. It, well, everybody know how I am, so going. Everybody know how I am, so I'm gonna go ahead and live how I'm gonna live. Have you ever heard that before? Everybody just know me. I'm just gonna speak my mind. I'm gonna say what I want to say. A person that is dead to sin, we don't say what we want to say. We say the things of Christ. 
But David sinned and God forgave him. So I can go ahead and sin too. It's not a person that dead to sin. You don't compare yourself to the person across the room. You see Jesus. You look to Jesus. We are being more and more like Jesus. Amen. This is like a person that's saying they, are, they, they aren't. Like a person that's saying um, they aren't a 49ers fan. But everything they wear is a 49ers gear. Every game they watch is 49ers. I took, I know something like they watch every Cowboy game. They say they're a Patriot fan, but they watch every Cowboy game. They know every player on the Cowboy. They know the water boy on the Cowboy team. They know every chili the name on the Cowboy team. But they, they, up and down, they do not like the Cowboys. But it's crazy though for someone to say they aren't a 49ers fan. But their whole life is wrapped up in 49ers or in the Cowboys. In a similar way, a person that continues in sin and their whole life is just outworking of sin. Are you truly a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? You might just be a fan. You know, but just between a fan and a follower, you know, I'm a fan of Kobe Bryant. You know, I'm a fan of um, Tom Brady, quarterback, best quarterback that ever lived. Uh, greatest, never going to be anybody going to be better than him. I'm a very fan of him, but he don't know me. I'm a fan of him, right? One thing about being a fan, so I come to Tom Gated door, knocking on the door, hey, let me in. What are you probably going to do? Call the police. But if you really knew me, Hey, Chris, hey, this is the passcode. Come on in. Come hang out and everything else. In the same way, are we fans of Jesus or are we a follower of Jesus? Yeah. A fan of Jesus saying, hey, you know these things about Jesus. Say all these things about Jesus. But Jesus doesn't know you. Your life is not shaped up on how he called you to live. So family, those that are continuing to sin and come with their sin, Paul responds again in point, I mean, verse 3. Do you not know what all of us who have been baptized in Christ, Jesus were baptized to his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism to death. Paul is like, y'all have professed Christ, that you were baptized in Christ Jesus. You were baptized to his death. His death was because of our sins. One person so having died to sin does not mean that sin is no longer within you. Or that it has no, or that it has no more power and influence within you. It does. But sin no longer can dictate you. Though you may obey it, and though you will obey it, the fact remains that you no longer have to obey it. You have died to it. It can be dead to you. How can we and why? Will we live in it any longer? Family, when we were baptized, we were done away with the old. Since Christ died, we have died spiritually, but also been raised up spiritually. Christ took the death for us. We died, he died. We died to our old self. We're not the same anymore. People should be able to see a difference in us now. 
But family, if nobody sees the difference, have we really been truly baptized in Christ? And baptized is not referring to as immersion right now. It's referring to in the sense of that you once were in sin, you died, and he brought you back to life. He gave you a new life. Now you don't like the things you used to like anymore. You don't like the gas. Is that what y'all call it? Uh, gas? You don't like going back to the gas and, and all the other stuff. You, you like going to Jesus now. All right. Point number three. Last point. I'm going to be out of here. If you haven't shown in Christ, you have been raised to newness of life. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Since we get in every get everything in Christ, we also get raised up just how Christ was raised up from the grave. He was resurrected. Family, we will be resurrected. One person said this. Since Christ's death led to his resurrection and newness of life, so in the same way our union with Christ will and must lead to new life. If we believe in Christ, a change of life has happened. We would not live in sin anymore. One fruit of union with Christ is certainty. Since all that is true of Jesus is true of us. And since he rose to new life, so we know that we are living that new life. And that new life points forward to the future state of perfect glory we shall enter with him. We will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. If we know that we are united with Christ, then we will know we are living a new life. No longer under sin dominion. And we won't ask the question of verse 1. Can we continue in sin? So family, this is not total sanctification right here. This is going more in detail of assurance in Christ. That if you're truly in Christ, Christ got you. You are truly assured. A picture of this is uh, Judas. Judas is a person that actually followed Jesus everywhere. Judas said all the right things. But he was so far away from Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He did everything that it seemed like he wasn't really a follower. That over time it showed he wasn't a follower. That's scary, isn't it? A guy that walked with Jesus was over the money bag. Excuse me. Over the money bag. The guy was over the money bag. The one that everybody thought, man, Judas is a true believer. And come to find out, Jesus knew his heart that he wasn't. But for those who truly believe in Jesus, your assurance is sure. Your assurance is sure. And by your assurance being sure, you will get heaven. You will get Christ. Only those that truly believe in Jesus, they're weeping over their sins, and yeah, they messed up here, they messed up there, but hey, they're asking God for help. They come to the church. Hey, brothers, help me out with this. They repent into the Lord daily. Again, family, we are in a fallen world. Our flesh is weak. But how are you responding when you sin? Do you respond as that, hey, God, don't forgive me. Let me go do it again. Or responding like, Lord, Lord, I sinned against you again. Are you broken by your sins? If you're not broken by your sin, it's okay. I prefer you to be honest today. And know where you stand before the Lord and turn to Christ today and be saved. Amen. Don't let the faces around you, right? Don't let the faces around you 
cause this type of fear and embarrassment that, hey, I'm willing to go, go ahead and go to hell and be able to stick, stay in my sins so nobody won't know that I'm not a believer here today. I would say, don't worry about the faces in this room. To get Jesus forevermore and turn for your sins, family, you get everything better than the faces in this room. Well, the faces in this room are a good thing too, right? The church, the bride. But I would say is that turn to Jesus. You might have said a thing when you were five years old. You might just be a believer when you were five. But you might have said believe. You might have said you was a believer because you went down the aisle because your auntie, your grandmother, your cousin told you to go down and say it. You really didn't know what you was doing. I would say repent today. I would love to baptize you. I would love to be able to walk through and disciple you and pour you into you to show you God's word. But if you continue in your sin and you're not turning repentance, you know, there's no other hope for you. There's no other hope. And you might say, well, let me wait till tomorrow. I'm going to wait till next Sunday. I'm going to wait till the Sunday after that. You're not God. Tomorrow's not promised. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. So I would say, turn to Jesus today. Turn to him and let us be a family. Let us walk with you on how this look on a day-to-day -day basis. A couple applications. The days are blinking now. We shouldn't continue in sin since we have grace. We shouldn't continue in sin since we have grace. Family, you don't cheat on your wife or husband since you know she will forgive you or he will forgive you. You don't steal from the store from your boss or family members since you know that's a family member that owns the business. In the same way, family, we don't sin against God since we know he's going to forgive us. We take it serious. We take it serious. We fight it. It's worth fighting. That's why I tell us in Revelations, for those who conquer to the end, who's going to conquer to the end? Who's going to fight their sins daily? If you don't fight your sins, it's going to show that over time you were just like a Judas. Second thing, when we profess Christ, we're new creatures now. We hate sin now. We don't enjoy it anymore. We hate sin. So do you hate sin? Do you hate the sin? The test message you sent last night, the last couple of days, the things that people hit you up in the, what your God is say, the DM? Is that your God? I got them messed up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all like y'all don't listen to that stuff. 21 Savage is 21 Savage. He was the rapper of the year last year, I saw in 2022. Y'all like y'all don't listen to all that. Y'all listen to that. So uh, I even heard one of y'all pull up in y'all car listen to, um, what's the boy named Young Boy? Oh, you great. You right. But seriously, though, I would say, ask yourself the question Are you living a double life right now? It's so much freedom in Jesus. So much freedom in Jesus. It's so much freedom. These things in the world are just lying to you. Let me tell you how, 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 how this world works. This world gives you a temporary happiness. It's a temporary happiness. You know, once you sin, like for me, even that moment I broke the line, I look back at the line like, oh man, it's a temporary happiness. I don't have to wait that long. Pornography, right? Sets before marriage. All those things right there are the temporary happiness. 
but that, spouse, oh, that person is not your spouse, they would not truly satisfy you. You got to keep going back, keep going back, come back. It would still not truly satisfy you. What about money at a job? You can keep making more and more money, more and more money. You're going to want more money. You're going to want to make more money, more money. It will truly not satisfy you. But one thing about Jesus is that as you come to him, he will truly satisfy us. Amen. You probably say, Crescent, I have came to him. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. I don't know what you mean by that. I don't know what you mean by that. I would say, please, talk to me after. I would love to share with you what it means to come to Jesus and taste the goodness. Last thing, by being in Christ, we have a new life now. A life that no more, no one can take away from us. So those that have their heads down in this room and feeling bad about what you did yesterday, for those that are truly in Christ, it's nailed to the cross. Lift your head up. It's nailed to the cross. We will be with Christ forevermore. And you won't have to deal with this forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us.